Welcome to 8 with 8, a podcast from Ohio State Support Team 8, where we share what's on our minds and what's in the research from the field of education. Welcome back to this season's discussion about some of the sticky educational practices that have persisted despite lack of research evidence. Today's topic is a very polarizing one, retention. Educational researcher John Hattie has been quoted as saying, quote, no single intervention by schools is worse than retention, end quote. That's a pretty serious condemnation. Yet it continues to be something that schools consider when students are encountering serious learning struggles. In today's episode, SSD8's Frank Gant talks with Lisa Shannon, the Director of Special Services for Lake Local School District in Stark County. Throughout her career in Northeast Ohio, she has had numerous opportunities to discuss retention with educators and families, starting first as a co-teacher in her district's first co-teaching team, then as an assistant principal, assistant superintendent, and currently director of special services. Together, Lisa and Frank will consider why we have retained retention as a routine educational practice and what both teachers and administrators should be thinking about when retention is under consideration. Check it out. So hello, Lisa. Thanks for being here today. Really glad you could do this. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. It's not often I get to come back and talk to a beloved colleague. So I'm happy to happy to be talking with you today. Well, I invited you here to talk on our podcast because you've had the opportunity to work in you know, many different school districts in Northeast Ohio in a variety of capacities. Most recently, you've been director of special services and as a director working with many teachers and families and students with disabilities, you've had many conversations about retention as an intervention for a child. And in addition to your strong background in teaching and learning, I've, as you said before, I've always relied heavily on your advice while being a principal in that same school district. So are you ready to talk a little bit about retention? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Although many of our listeners probably already know retention is a practice that students are made to repeat a grade level, usually as a result of failure to meet a standard of proficiency on a state test or other measures. And according to John Hattie's visible learning, retention has a negative 0.3 effect. Hattie's hinge point is 0.4. Anything above 0.4 has an average or greater effect on student learning. So it's very rare to see anything with a negative value. Research is pretty clear. Retention has a direct correlation with increased likelihood of dropping out of high school and or more likely to be bullied or engage in bullying. So, and many other things that we're probably going to talk about pretty shortly. So there is a lot of research from the 70s through the, you know, the past 10 years that demonstrate demonstrates the negative effect on retention on students. Mm-hmm. You know, as an educator, why do you think so many of our other educators still hold on to this practice? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question because I ask myself that um, often, usually around this time of year too. It's springtime. We're thinking about student placements for next year and really taking the opportunity now to reflect back on a student's achievement over the past school year and making those determinations about what what could we do as the adults in the situation to set this child up for the future? And I do find that there are still a good number of educators that kind of go back to that practice of retention. I also find, and I don't know if you find this to be the case too, but I also find that parents uh, go back to retention and ask about retention quite a bit. 
Uh, I can only imagine that parents maybe bring this up as a possible option for their child because they think it's the right thing to bring up, right? Like my child struggled during the course of a school year. They did not necessarily get good grades or passing grades. So to parents, oftentimes it's a logical idea or a logical uh, mindset that well, they need to repeat that content. They need to show that they can pass that class. And um, I think parents do that just because that's what they think they're supposed to do, where they don't necessarily have all of the research or are as current as what educators are on the research. So sorry if I got off on a tangent there, but I, I do think that we need to think about retention from the parent perspective, as well as the educator perspective. So circling back to your question, why do you think educators still hold on to these practices? Um, my experience has shown me that really in the short term, sometimes retention can maybe prove to be beneficial. For instance, if you have a student that struggles with phonemic awareness and decoding and some of those basic reading skills, perhaps repeating a grade level to have a second dose of that instruction would be a really good idea, right? And in the short term, it even proves, I think research even shows that, yeah, in the short term, it, it could help. However, if you followed that student then beyond that retained grade and you continued to watch them, I think you would find that eventually their skill set would even out and they would end up achieving really, um, if not at similar rates as their current grade level, but they also may still slip and fall behind. Um, and I think that that's pretty common. So I think that sometimes adults choose the short-term gain because it's it's quick, they can see the outcome, uh, but they don't necessarily look at the long-term outcomes. So that might be one reason why educators hold on to that. Um, I think that a second possible reason, uh, educators take their jobs seriously, very seriously, and they take their jobs personally too. So the educators that I know really struggle to advance a student or pass a student to the next grade level when they don't feel like that student has mastered what they need to master or gained what they need to gain to move on. Um, I think sometimes educators take that personally and um, want to hold on to that student to give them that second dose, if you will. Um, that's, that's a possible, I guess, explanation as to why educators might still hold on to some of these practices. I also don't think that people are necessarily up on the research to show that dropout rates usually are higher when you're looking at students who have been retained at some point during their school career. So again, maybe that more immediate focus versus the long-term outcome um, and being up on the research and what that indicates, I think that, that that plays a part 
as to why retention is still being considered, a, you know, a reasonable option for students. So my focus in my career has primarily been on students with disabilities. Although I serve all kids, um, right now I, I really like to hone in on that targeted group. And, you know, in particular with students with disabilities, the idea of retention is very negative. It's very detrimental. We find that kids then once kids with disabilities, once they get into high school, um, they are more likely to drop out than a typical student without a disability. So um, I, I find that I try not to speak in absolutes. I, I don't want to say retention is never good or always good. So I try not to think that way. But in particular for students with disabilities, I, 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 I struggle to find it to be acceptable to retain a student. Um, I feel like there might be other avenues for them. So I guess that's those are probably the, the top three reasons why I think educators still hold on to the practice. No, those are those are excellent points. And, you know, it's it's kind of nice that over time, since the beginning of our careers, we've kind of seen the retention conversation go away from the consequence piece, although that was now and you see the third grade reading guarantee. And when I was doing my research on this topic, I was not aware that there was a law in Florida for retention. And that started back in 2002. So they might have got this whole third grade reading guarantee and the, the consequences and retention, you know, started way back then. But, you know, the educators do have good intentions. You know, that's they what do. we see. You know, you see that in every classroom, they want the children to be very successful. And short term, when they, like you said earlier, they do see those benefits. They see the following year, they excel because they're doing the same grade level again, or the same, same standards again. And then as you spoke upon it later on, that's, we don't see the difference. That extra year doesn't show up later on. So if they're doing that retained year and by fifth grade, they're performing at the same level as a peer that was promoted instead of retained, then you start to ask yourself, well, then why, why would we want to retain them in the first place? Exactly. And I think that, um, having conversations with parents and educators about the purpose. What is the purpose? Um, here's a perfect example. I met with a parent um, about two weeks ago. Their child is transitioning from preschool into kindergarten. The child has an intellectual disability and they function well below grade level. So when mom and I were walking through our primary building and we were talking about kindergarten and, and all the great things that come along with kindergarten, she mentioned to me that she already knew in her mind that at the end of his kindergarten year, she was going to have him stay back in kindergarten and repeat that a second year. So I, I feel like sometimes people already have a mindset how to use retention as a tool but again, if it doesn't meet, I guess, the purpose or if it doesn't tie back to the purpose and what you're trying to achieve, is it really a good option? I think you have to ask yourself that. 
Um, and at the time, you know, it wasn't the right time to have the conversation about retention with the parent, but I know that going in to next school year, this particular parent is interested in that second year. And again, not talking in absolutes, I think that our district would be open-minded to considering it, but I feel like it's my responsibility to educate mom on what could happen more in the high school years. They, I think that people see that short-term and don't necessarily think about the long-term effects and outcomes and possibilities. So I guess that would be a great question to ask you. So what if you are the educator, whether it's principal, we have a lot of administrators that listen to this podcast and you walk into the room and the parent has already decided or the other team members have already decided retention is what's going to happen. And what advice would you give to the educators that's kind of questioning whether retention is the right fit for this child? Sure. I think the first piece of advice I would give administrators is to have your data, um, know the research, and go in kind of armed with information. Not to, not to sway people's minds necessarily, but to make sure that the decisions are informed decisions. Um, it's really difficult for one person, regardless of their position, to walk into a group that already has you know, the staunch mindset that this is what's going to happen with the student. I think, again, our responsibility lies with informing them and, and sharing our observations and our own professional experiences. I mean, I've been in this field of work for over 20 years and, you know, professionally speaking, you know, students with disabilities who have been retained, I see that parents struggle with them their senior year because as an 18-year-old, that child is dissatisfied with school. They've struggled their whole career. They um, are unhappy and they don't want to do it anymore. And they're old enough to sign themselves out of school. And I'm sure as parents of young children, we don't think about that, right? And so I think going into meetings as an administrator, it's wise to know the research, know where your people stand, maybe have conversations in the background before you even walk into that meeting to help educate people. Um, I also think one tool that is vastly underutilized is that of school policy. Um, most school districts in the state of Ohio use two, one of two um, possible I guess, providers for school policy. And the policies are typically written, well, not typically, but if they're written by one of these two agencies, they follow the legislation, they follow the law, they're regularly updated. So it's a good current resource for you to use at every meeting. Um, I don't know if every school district is like this, but here at Lake Local, the school policy actually reads that the retention of a student takes place when that student has not uh, earned passing grades or shown at least a proficient level of certain skills. My experience is that when a parent wants a student to be retained, that student has actually already passed and shown proficiency 
with that certain with those certain skills in that grade level. So according to school policy, they actually should be promoted to the next grade and not retained. So I think um, going back and looking at your school policy is a wise practice and knowing exactly what that stand or where that stands. Um, not that you want to engage in a power struggle, but if there is a power struggle between what the school thinks is right and what the parent would like to do, then you at least have school policy to fall back on and use it as a resource and use it as maybe a guidance document for the team as they think uh, think through the decision. So I think, um, you know, Having research, knowing what your school policy says, um, I think those are two things that current administrators could walk into a meeting kind of armed with and, and be ready to, to talk through with students. Um, or not with students, rather, but with the team. I would, I would also say that, you know, when you're an administrator and you're looking for your first position or a new position as an administrator, I think that retention question just philosophically is a good one to ask those who are interviewing you for the job, right? It's a two-way street. You need to meet their expectations, but they also should meet your expectations. And so if philosophically you are completely at you know, different ends of the spectrum on retention or any other topic that's important to you, kind of a non-negotiable, if you will then maybe that district's not the right fit for you. Um, I trail off. That's kind of going down a rabbit hole a little bit. But um, you had mentioned that new administrators sometimes listen to this podcast. So I think that that was worth worth sharing. No, that's a great piece of advice. I would never even think about asking a question like that to understand what the the philosophy of that district truly is. So that's an excellent one to think about. Are there successful alternatives to retention that educators and families can really go to? Absolutely. I mean, there are some pretty practical, um, I think, pretty practical strategies that school districts can implement with their staff, especially in the area of additional professional development and training opportunities to review policy. Um, you know, even through your vision and your vision and mission statements, you know, is the practice of retention aligned with your vision and your mission? Uh, and so I think that there are opportunities to talk about things like retention in an ongoing way. Um, I think that also, if you're looking at successful alternatives to retention, you could look at um, in the special ed world. Um, we talk sometimes about um, talk about educational pieces that are supplemental. Those are above and beyond what the typical student might um, might receive. Are there ways to supplement a student's education through the summer or in the afternoons outside of the school um, outside of the school day that could benefit students' mastery of skills? Are there ways to connect older students with younger students and, and kind of nurture those mentoring relationships where um, the younger student is benefiting from work with that older student? So kind of expanding those, 
learning opportunities, if you will. Um, I am, uh, again, special education focused, so this statement might be a little bit biased, but um, I really think that when school districts focus and um, spend money on the front end of early intervention, I think that that pays off in dividends at the end, kind of that outside prevention is worth a pound of cure mindset that if we are front loading intensively services, then, you know, at those early ages, I think that that benefits everyone in the long run. Um, I actually, right before this podcast came from a very energizing meeting, and I'm, I'm happy when I have those during the day because we can get so bogged down with uh, the day-to-day operations. But I had the opportunity to meet with a group of uh, five individuals that are staff members at Lake Local uh, Kindergarten through grade six. And we also had a middle high school representative. And one thing that we were talking about is this idea of tier three reading intervention. You know, what can we do there? And um, we had great conversation about an hour and a half and again, energizing. But one practice that we really fell back to that we feel needs to be um, routinely uh, made part of conversations is the idea of systemic applications of interventions to do things in a coordinated sequential way and um, making sure that people have the time and the resources to implement those evidence-based instructional practices with fidelity. So if we're tying that conversation to retention, I feel like a school district could ask themselves, do we have the right resources to to support this student? Are we providing the intervention or the instruction with fidelity? Are we doing this with fidelity and meeting the industry standard? for instance, as it relates to reading intervention, you know, does intervention A require us to work with the student 30 minutes, five days a week for tier three? Are we actually doing that? Are we providing 30 minutes, five days a week for tier three intervention? Because if we're not, then we're not giving that student everything they need to succeed. And we might down the road get to the conversation of, whether or not retention is appropriate. So, wow, I feel like, I mean, I really feel like this question could go in a lot of directions. Um, Ooh, one more I'm gonna throw in because this came to mind. If you don't mind, can I keep going, Frank? Is that okay? Okay. Absolutely. And, uh, okay. you know, if we need to do more podcasts together, maybe that's what we'll just schedule more <laughs> and all these different rabbit holes we're going down. No, they are rabbit holes. I feel that's exactly what these are. So, you know, nothing in education is done in isolation, right? Like it's all tied together. There's always a domino effect. And I kind of geek out over that a little bit, but, you know, trying to tie everything back to retention here, when we're looking at students in older grades, like middle school students come to mind uh, with this example that I'm about to maybe kind of dissect a little bit, but, you know, here I am a middle school student. Um, School has been hard for me. I am transitioning into, let's say, a middle school for the very first time. So a new building, a new schedule, new staff, new way of doing things, new expectations. 
Um, and on top of that, um, the grading practices might be different than my elementary teacher. So now I'm dealing with different grading practices. To me, uh, when you talk about failing a grade level or failing a class, grading practices tie so strongly to that retention conversation that you can't ignore it. Um, you know, you as a district have to decide, um, you know, what is the purpose of grading, right? What is the purpose of assigning a grade to a student? And my line of thinking is that we give grades to students to inform and give feedback on a student's level of mastery with a certain skill, right? So if we're talking about retention and a student failing, let's say a middle school science class, we deserve, or that student deserves the attention to grading practices, that needs to be a part of the conversation. You know, did the teacher, for instance, use grading as a way of providing feedback on a student's performance and level of mastery? Or were we actually grading maybe the student's effort in class or the student's um, attention in class or the student's ability to organize themselves? Because those three examples don't tie back to level of mastery of concepts and standards. And if we're grading a student based on other things, if we're grading a student based on things that are not standards-based, then can we really say we're re retention is a good option for a student when we're not really looking only at that student's um, level of mastery with those learning standards? Again, rabbit holes. I feel like we could really spend lots of time on any one of these ideas. Yeah, grading is definitely, we could do a whole podcast season on probably grading. And, you know, we're talking about polarizing topic with retention. I mean, we get into grading and we might have some, some really uh, people tuning in to, to gravitate towards that conversation. But uh, yeah, the, you know, going back to, to that, you know, I, I hear you intervene early and often and you mm -hmm. really look at that frequency and duration of those interventions really to, to key in on what the ch child truly needs. And so that's Absolutely. great. All right. So we're going to tie things up with the last, the last question I'm going to throw at you. And, and we are state support teammate. And so we like to do things around the number eight. So okay. we're going to, hopefully we can do this together and bounce these off of each other. You know, what are, let's see if we can come up with eight aspects that educators and families should consider before or during that retention conversation? Okay. So I'll let you start. We'll keep track, huh? We're trying to get eight of these. Yes. Let's see if yep. we can do it. Okay. Um, so if we are looking at all of the aspects of a student and having this retention conversation, I think some of what we need to look at would include the students. Um, present level of achievement in particular with reading and math and language type, um, language type, um, 
I guess, outcomes there. So I would say that that teams need to look at students' present level of achievement. All right, Thank I'm going to throw I'm going to throw one out there. Gender seems like boys are twice as likely to be retained than girls. So I think that is something you should probably really talk about as a team, like the gender piece. And also, right. you know, with the gender too, is is students of African-American boys are twice as likely to be retained than the white students. Right. So those are those are important factors to really consider and talk through when you're making these having these conversations. All right, that's two. Okay. So um, I'm going to go back to the example I shared earlier with the student that uh, was touring our primary building. You know, this, this student's intellectual um, level would play into a conversation for me. I would absolutely talk about that. Uh, you know, you're talking about a student maybe with a significantly below uh, age level cognitive ability that should be part of the conversation or, you know, does the student have a more, uh, let's say more uh, average, you know, type IQ for their age level and for their grades. So that, that plays a part for me. So that's three. Present grade placement. So a kindergartner, an eighth grader, a 10th grader, way different, different conversations to have. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And the older you get, I think the less frequently you should consider retention. So let's see here. What else? So we're trying to get to eight. I think that we are currently at four. four. Um, you know, if you look at the students, I guess, primary language that is spoken at home, um, if a student is not a native English speaker, uh, that definitely could play a part in their ability to access their curriculum, right? So the more um, immersed in the English language they are and the more opportunities they have to practice that, the uh, more proficient they'll become with the English language. So if you're looking at a student maybe who is newer to the United States, let's say in their first year or two of being in an English speaking environment with regularity, um, I think that teams need to consider that. Another consideration I throw out there is the size of the child. You know, the height, the weight, those play a factor as well, especially in the, the primary years. You know, someone of my stature, you know, if I was held back, I would really, really stick out. And how does that play with some of the, the relationships that you have socially with your peers? Yeah, that's a good point. I think um, we really can't have this conversation without talking about the impact on a student socially and emotionally. I think that, um, you know, Ohio thankfully has implemented the social emotional learning standards, which are so very important. I, I think that those really provide kind of the 
found foundation for learning. If a student is ready to learn socially and emotionally, they're ready to be in a school environment, then they're more apt to learn those, learn uh, the standards and the skills they need to be successful in school. So PBIS is an important part of the um, district's approach to setting the environment up to be successful so that retention occurs, um, you know, infrequently, I guess. So yeah, for sure. Um, I think that a next one, what are we on? Is this number seven? I think we're on seven. Okay. I think that teams really need to think through whether a student has been previously retained. Um, so this would maybe be the second time this, the team would be considering retention in the student's school career. Um, so I'm older than Frank, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and back when I started my career, it was thought that you would not retain a student more than one time every three years, which even, even though I don't speak in absolutes, one time consideration every three years is um, crazy to me. I feel like that's that's quite a bit, but that that was kind of the mindset back when I started late '80s, early '90s. Um, but if you're looking at whether or not a student was previously retained and they're continuing to struggle, um, even with good attendance and good instruction and um, appropriate intervention. I feel like then at that point, you might be thinking about, you know, evaluating a student as maybe suspecting a disability. So I think that that becomes a good, a good talking point for the team. And I'll round us out with number eight, and it goes in the field that you're most um, custom with, and that's students with disabilities. And I think that is something you really need to take in consideration, having those conversations, because is if you're going to retain someone, you're saying time is the factor. Giving them more time and they'll be fine. Right. Well, with students with disabilities, that it's the disability that's limiting or impacting their learning, not necessarily time. So I think that is a really good discussion to have as a team. I agree completely. All right. So I would like to once again, thank you, Lisa, for joining us today in this podcast. You've given us some great things to talk about and think about, you know, staying up to date on your research, coming ready with your dad and be very well informed with, for that decision. Referring back to your personal school policy, your district policy, I think those are great, you know, great pieces of advice for every educator, every administrator out there. To, to really help facilitate this retention conversation. Well, thank you very much for having me. It reminds me of how great our conversations were when we worked together in the same district. So it was fun to bounce off some ideas with you. It was great having you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. And that's it for another episode of 8 with 8. A big thank you to Lisa Shannon for joining us to talk about this important topic. She and Frank really covered a lot of ground. 
Lisa not only helped unpack why retention continues to come up every year, but shared some important systems considerations that impact retention, including district policy, vision and mission, grading practices, and connections to intervention systems and implementation fidelity. And I loved how Lisa and Frank really bottom-lined it with eight great considerations at the student level when having that hard retention conversation. We'll list these for you in our show notes in case you want to reference them for future conversations. We also have a couple of brief articles that you may find interesting. And speaking of interesting topics, we know that literacy continues to be an evergreen topic of interest in the state of Ohio these days. So be sure to tune in next week as we welcome Dr. Tim Shanahan to the podcast to help us ponder, why do we still use outdated literacy practices? What do we even mean by that? Dr. Shanahan is no stranger to this topic and has a lot of interesting thoughts. You will not want to miss it. See you soon.